begin with a prayer. Holy Father, we ask you to bless our study of your holy word today. Thank you for the example of Daniel at the end of the Persian or of the Babylonian Empire, the beginning of the Persian rule. We pray that you would help us to apply these words to our lives today, tomorrow, and always. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a chapter that raises some questions, uh, not so much in its, uh, I'll, I'll say status as a Sunday school story. Um, the, the, the basic understanding of the, of the text is not going to change for us today. But we're going to explore a couple of things that I would never talk about in Sunday school and uh, try to figure out a couple of things. And one of them is, who's the king? Uh, because that's a problem in chapter 5. Uh, I'm just going to read verse 1, and let's get his name out there in the open, and then let's just talk about this. So King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and in front of the thousand he drank wine. Now, a big banquet like this is a common theme in the Bible. Um, uh, I don't know whether you know this, but the book of Esther is really outlined around ten banquets. That's Esther. If you account for all ten of the banquets, it gets you from the beginning to the end of the book. Um, And it's the way that the book was written. And by the way, Esther would have occurred not long after these events. Um, We're uh, maybe in the 550s here and Esther 450s, maybe something like that. So about 100 years. Um, Esther's ancestors were already in Babylon. They had come along with, uh, I think it was the second captivity or something like that, Jehoiakim's captivity. But who is Belshazzar? Let's take a look. I should have done the slide differently to make it more of a punchline for you, but let's take a look at the timeline. These are the kings of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. The old Babylonian Empire was what we have in Babylon in Genesis. Uh, people that Abraham and Isaac knew and so forth. This is the Neo or New Babylonian Empire. Uh, A long time later, more than a thousand years after Abraham's time, and the first king of New Babylon is Nabal-Palasser. On the the right-hand margin, this is more clear, I think, on your handout, but N in the right-hand margin is Nebuchadnezzar. So what I've tried to give you here are the dates, the name of the ruler, and his relationship to Nebuchadnezzar. That's what you have on the screen. So Nabal-Palasser, Nebuchadnezzar's father. And uh, 605 is when the first uh, verse of Daniel begins, when Nabal-Palasser has died. Nebuchadnezzar, serving as the commanding general, has conquered Babylon, but he has to race back to uh, to get crowned uh, 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 after dad dies. And then he comes back and so forth. Then 605 to 562, that's a long reign, isn't it? 40 years, a little bit more than 40. Is it 43 years? Yeah, 43 years, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he's followed by his son, Evil Merodach. Now, evil Merodach, evil there is not an English word. It's not our word evil, okay? Um, However, we spell it that way in translating because in Aramaic, it kind of looks like Abel. 
And it doesn't quite mean what the name of Abel means back in the Genesis story either, but the consonants are the same. So evil, Abel, Avel, Merodach um, is Nebuchadnezzar's son. You see there that he reigns about, what, two years, two and a half years, something like that, not very long. And he is murdered with poison by a guy named, uh, oh, wait a second. No, that's right, uh, by uh, 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 Neraglissar. Um, Neraglissar is an interesting guy. He was uh, a general who served with and under Nebuchadnezzar. And then he decided at this point to, after he had this palace coup and became and becomes king, he thought that what I should do to solidify my place in the line of the kings is, well, what could he do? Marry the king's daughter. So that's what he does. He grabs the girl, there's a shotgun wedding, and he marries the king's daughter, and is she okay being queen of Babylon? Kind of thinks so. Yeah, uh, so she, uh, she's okay with that. But he doesn't live all that long. Uh, so what is that, four years or so? Um, and he then is, is uh, replaced by his own son, Labashi Marduk, um, who I think maybe is by a different woman than the king's daughter. But uh, Labashi reigns only, I'm not sure if it's months or weeks, not very long, uh, before he is replaced by a courtier. What's a courtier? Well, yeah, a guy on the court who usually serves as an advisor. Their courtiers are usually given little jobs to do in the name of the king. He'll have to go and do this or have to go and do that. Go and investigate this. Go talk to this person. Um, then, yeah, there's palace intrigue and uh, things like that. Oh, sorry about that. <clears throat> and uh, that's, that's this guy, Nabonidus. Um, and Nabonidus turns out to be kind of chicken. Um, he, do the, do the math for me. How long is his reign, Nabonidus? From 56 to 39 is how many years? How many? 17 years? Yeah. 10 of those are spent off-site in Arabia at a resort. Um... And uh, several more of those years, he, he comes back for a little while, then he goes back to the resort again. And so he rules in absentia. What the problem with Nabonidus is I think he was afraid of getting murdered in the court in Babylon. So he ruled from afar. And um, the, the, uh, for a long time, in the heyday of biblical textual criticism, of, of higher criticism, which is really the worst kind of, of criticism, um, uh, the book of Daniel was, was criticized and taken to task because this next guy, Belshazzar, was unknown. He's not in the king list. So who is he? Um, it is known now from some inscriptions and some other things that Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus. So he ruled the way that uh, uh, a prince will rule when his father is insane. And we had, I had a I kind of a hint of that, was it just last time? With uh, Nebuchadnezzar going crazy and getting sent out back to the doghouse when he thought he was a werewolf. Is this coming back to anybody? And his prince had to reign. That prince was probably evil Merodach. Now Belshazzar 
is content to be on the throne for dad as prince regent while his dad is just out of town the whole time. And things do not go well for Babylon while that is going on. Um, And uh, then there's kind of a mistaken identity case. Because of the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the words Assyria and Babylon get mixed up sometimes in the Greek translation. Because I think the translators were trying to make it more clear to the readers what we're talking about. And so where Assyria showed up in the Hebrew, sometimes the translator, for whatever reason, just wrote in Babylon because everybody knew where Babylon was. And what would the difference be? Well, the difference is you're talking about different centuries. And so along came an author uh, about this uh, a little later than this who said, I'm going to make up a story about the prophet Habakkuk getting picked up by the hair by an angel and zooming through the air and, uh, and going to feed a prophet in exile. In fact, it's going to be Daniel chapter 6. The prophet Habakkuk is made to give his stew to Daniel in the den of lions um, in the days of the Babylonians. Why is that? Because in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk who lived more than a century before this in the days of Isaiah the prophet, the fall of Assyria was prophesied. Assyria that was conquered by Babylon eventually, um, or by the Chaldeans actually, the forerunners of the Babylonians. And I think that the translator of the Septuagint got the century wrong because the translation was just wrong. So they got kind of mixed up as to who's in charge here, that kind of thing. Um, A little bit like you and I are reading a story about New Amsterdam. If we're telling a story about New Amsterdam, what would you tell your listeners so that they would have any clue what you're talking about? New York. Yeah. But if I'm telling a story about New Amsterdam, maybe I should leave that in the story at some point so I know the century, right? As to, as to when that happened before it got renamed later on by the British. Um, so th- I think that's a problem. By the way, that, that account, uh, which is uh, 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 one of the apocryphal, is it, is it, I forget now if it's Susanna or Belle and the Dragon. It's one of those two apocryphal accounts uh, gives uh, Daniel being fed by Habakkuk, who got picked up by the hare, and flown there by an angel from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon and back. Uh, well, enough of that, unless you have a real serious question about Habakkuk's hair. Sarah, okay. So, I'm going to maintain that this Belshazzar is, as, as we're pretty confident here, the son of the last king of, of Babylon. By the way, both men, Nabonidus and Belshazzar, appear to have been executed by the Medes who came in and conquered at, in the last verse of this chapter. So, sorry, spoiler alert, they both die um, here. Uh, I hope you don't mind. Um, all right, <clears throat> verse 2. When he had tasted the wine, Belshazzar said to bring the gold and silver vessels that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines could drink from them. Let me go back a slide. 
Could Belshazzar refer to Nebuchadnezzar as his father? How many years different are we from 562 to 553? Well, nine years different. Belshazzar was born in the lifetime of Nebuchadnezzar. There's no trouble with that. Um, however, we do think that he was the son of Nabonidus, and he says son of Nebuchadnezzar, I think because later in the chapter, there's going to be a queen who addresses him that way, kind of to smooth over the ruffles of this court battle that had gone on. So, don't let the list of names fool you. Nebuchadnezzar had the long reign. Everybody else was a short-termer, right? Okay. Same thing happens in the kings of Israel and Judah, where sometimes you got three kings in the same year. You know, it just boom, 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 and there they all are. They're all 18, and, you know, so, okay. Then they brought the gold vessels that they had taken from the temple, that is, the house of God, in Jerusalem, so the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So false gods, false gods of every kind. What were these vessels? What were these goblets? What were these drinking cups? What would they have been used for? Did they use cups and chalices for the offerings? Not the blood. That was probably in giant pans. What are the things in the kitchen that we cook the meat in for big meals? Roasters, Nesco's, those things. Imagine that about twice as big. That's what you've got to catch the blood in from the bowl. But I, I think that these goblets and things were after the offering when they had the fellowship meal. The priest and his family and the worshiper and his family got to sit down at what I'm going to call picnic tables in the tabernacle, and they got to eat and drink, and they could use this, the, the nice silverware. Um, okay, there are two answers. The, the originals were made, of course, in the days of Aaron and Moses, um, 1,900 years before this. In Solomon's time, they were upgraded, and so maybe they had been made, maybe the old ones were replaced. But in the days immediately following Solomon, um, his son, his, his, uh, his um, uh, architect was uh, Jeroboam, became Jeroboam I of the, of the northern kingdom, and his son was Rehoboam. And in their Reign the two of them after Solomon died, when Jeroboam was king of the north and Rehoboam was king of the south, an Egyptian pharaoh named Shishak came and plundered the temple and ripped off all the gold fixtures and all that. And I don't know if any of you are Indiana Jones fans, but the legend is that something else got ripped off at that time, which was the Ark of the Covenant. And it's not a bad uh, a suggestion because the Ark of the Covenant, which gets mentioned all through David and Solomon's lifetime, never gets mentioned again after Solomon's death. So that seems like it's about the time that the Ark might have gotten stolen um, and taken away. But all these other things got stolen. And what did Rehoboam replace them with? 
bronze and copper replacements. So, and by the way, that included in the arsenal, they had shields up on the wall. It, was, it had to be beautiful in there. Um, and the golden shields were taken away and bronze ones were put up. And the people kind of lamented like that's too bad. However, if, can I just ask, if you had to defend yourself with a gold shield or a bronze shield, which would you rather hold in your hand? Bronze. Yeah, why? What will gold do if a sword hits it? Uh, either dent or the sword will go right through the gold into your gut. But the bronze will turn away the weapon because of the difference in the quality of, of the material. So that's what happens when you mix copper and tin. Yes? So all that was stripped away. And the roof. The roof. Um, uh, that happened again later in, uh, in 70 when Titus came and burned the temple all over again. And the Jews were, they, they got out their, their uh, uh, pocket knives and they were picking the melted gold off of the stone where it had fought, melted and fallen and stuff like that. Now, it, it, it's also possible that one of the kings, and I'm going to throw out the names Josiah and Hezekiah, may have replaced the gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he blew it, and he might have. And so, uh, one of the later kings may have upgraded things again. But whatever it was, um, they got the good stuff here at Babylon, and there was a nice treasure trove of it. And they started drinking out of it. Now they're using articles that had been used to drink fellowship meals with for the true God, and now they were being used. For, well, this, at least praising the gods of Babylon, the, the, the silver, bronze, iron, wood, stone, gold gods. Um, and, uh, and he had this big drinking festival. Um, so uh, the sin is different than the sin of Nebuchadnezzar. And that's the point of this chapter. Daniel will make that out very clearly a little bit later on. Uh, in, the, in the 20s, I forget what verse exactly, but think of that as we're reading the chapter. What was the problem with Nebuchadnezzar? We just had four chapters of Nebuchadnezzar's sin and then compared to Belshazzar. So just keep that in your mind as we're going. You have a question or, or are you going to answer the whole thing? I was going to ask you, oh. Nebuchadnezzar was a polytheist. He believed in like many gods? At least in the beginning, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. They all are. Yeah, verse 4 tells us that this guy was too. So, yeah, yeah. So apart from Akhenaten over in Egypt, who wanted Egypt to become monotheistic for a while, and apart from Moses, everybody else had been a polytheist, yeah. At that moment, when the king now is drinking a toast to all the false gods, the fingers of a human hand appeared let me ask you, do you think it was the whole arm? Was there a human body attached or just the hand? I think it's just the hand. And the text seems to make that pretty clear in a couple different ways. So the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw, and this, remember this is the EHV translation, the king saw the back of the hand that was writing which is, kind of makes sense, right? The hand was writing on the wall and you see the bed. The reason is because in the Hebrew, the word kuf appears. And kuf, that's uh, uh, in English, K-A-P-H, I think, 
is how we would spell it. It stands for the part of the hand below the fingers and kind of above the wrist. So, but as far as front or back, I wouldn't say. When I was learning the word cuff as a student, I learned palm, the palm of the hand. He holds me, you hold me in the palm of your hand, right? So, however, could it be the back of that? And here it seems like that's what's going on. We're seeing the back of the palm of the hand writing. So the translator made an interesting choice here by, trying, by choosing to record that um, in our English translation. I don't know who did Daniel, but I'm kind of interested in that. Um, okay. Uh, this is Rembrandt. You seen this one before? Yeah. Rembrandt was misled by 15th century um, uh, 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 theology. I think it's Rembrandt. Um, and uh, there are two things here that are maybe mistakes. One is, do you see that the finger of the, of the hand that's writing is, the, the big puffy sleeve is, I think, actually a billowing cloud of smoke. Kind of a nice detail. Um, the last letter is incorrect. Um, that's a, that he's forming the Hebrew letter Zion, and he's trying to form the Hebrew letter Nun. And they look almost identical, but they're not quite. And he's got the top wrong. That's why I say that. Did you, did you even care? No. So, okay, forget I said that. Um, the other thing is that in medieval uh, interpretation of this chapter, it was thought, because what's happening in the, in the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries in the world, what's gaining popularity in the secular world? The Masonic Lodge. And th there's a Mason thing going on here in this painting. Because it was thought that these words, these, I'll use Masonic language, these magical words um, must have been a kind of a puzzle. And so instead of writing them left to right, like anybody, any normal Aramaic scribe would write them just left to right. He's got them going top to bottom. So it's even more mysterious. What does this mean? It's, you know, do, how do I read it? Is it left to right? Is it up down? Is it in a diagonal? You know, like, like the Masons, everything has to be a mystery with them. Every, you have to be trained to know. They're, they're basically modern Gnostics. I have information you don't have. That's what the Mason says to you. All right, so uh, 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 the painter here, influenced by, I believe, the Masons, has got the words kind of jumbled up and, and whatever else. But this is what it really would have looked like. Yeah. Uh, to read the Aramaic, a little bit different than the way we would pronounce it in English, which isn't a problem, because how do you pronounce the shoe spelled A-D-I-D-A-S? Right, but the guy's name is Adidas. His first name is Adi. His last name abbreviated is Das. It's Adidas in German. But we don't say that. We say Adidas, right? I, I'd like to read the Aramaic as written with the vowels as they actually are, which is Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsin. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsin. The U, by the way, is the Hebrew word for, or the Aramaic word for and so the the u is it does it doesn't come into this as far as the interpretation but the mene 
seems to be the same as the word we find in the New Testament for a mina or mina, a small amount of a coin. So I'm counting, I'm counting, pennies, 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 pennies. Tekel, this is Aramaic, remember. Tekel, the same as the Hebrew word. Just change the first letter to an SH. Shekel. Yeah. So I'm counting, I'm counting, I'm counting. I'm looking, I'm like a penny, 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 dollar. But parson, you're short by a half penny. That's, that's what this could very well mean. Penny, penny, dollar, you're short. And so that's what God is saying. I've, I've, I've been counting, and you're supposed to add up, but when I do the math, you're, 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 you're falling short. So, which is like a way of God pronouncing judgment about our sins, isn't it? There's going to be a slightly different twist that Daniel's going to put on this because parson doesn't only mean uh, uh, you're, you're, you're short or, or, or you're found wanting. It's also the word for Persians. So it's kind of like, I'm counting, I'm counting, I want to do the, the sum, and by the way, here come the Persians. Too late, you know, so... Um, so that's kind of it's kind of cool uh, in that way. More than kind of cool, our God is pretty cool. Yeah. I just want to read through the king's fear, and then we'll pause for a moment. The the king's cheerful appearance changed. His face grew pale. His thoughts troubled him. His legs went limp, and I love this part. And his knees knocked together. Um, have you ever actually seen somebody's knees knocking in fear? I did once, and it was when I was at uh, uh, Space Mountain in Walt Disney World, and a classmate of mine, we were going to go up on this thing, and her knees started knocking, actually knocking together. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.